Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player 2 episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages, where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And the day has arrived. We have got a copy of the book Holy shit. in our hands. Holy shit. And, and, and th- the hardest part about this is that while Aaron is going to just plow through this book in, in a record-breaking six hours, I have to wait every chapter. You're not going to make it. I have to. That's what I've committed You're to. Not gonna That's what we're going to do. You can sit there and you can laugh and squeal about the ideas that I have in my wait till the next chapter. While I am have to push off the reading of the book for the sake of people who are following along or maybe reading the book with us. That is the position that I have decided to take. But well, to be fair, we have both fair, hit we have both hit pause for this chapter. Yes. And that is greatly and appreciated. It I'm on vacation. I'm with family. This is going to be the easiest way to get this episode out quickly. So I'm taking a hit, but as soon as we're done recording, you're just going to keep reading. I'm going to, I'm going to try to find do not, a spot do not, and hide away. Do not contact me and go, oh my God, chapter three. Oh my uh, God. No, do not do that. That's just. I don't know how you're going to stay like away from spoilers, but I will. I promise I will not spoil anything. I'm pretty good about that stuff. Well, I'm just anyway. Gonna, I'll have to spend an un, a, an unknown number of weeks, a countless number of weeks, reading through this book. I'll, I'm just gonna have to not look at the the variety of groups that I'm a member of. I'm just gonna have to shut those down and close my eyes. So it's a blessing in disguise. Oh, sure, yeah, that's what it is. Okay, but so anyway, before anybody listens on, this is spoiler territory. Yep. Yep, it's painfully obvious. Shouldn't even have to to say that, but it's good that you did. And every episode going forward is a spoiler for that chapter. Now that said, Aaron is going to do his darndest not to spoil future chapters when we're discussing the current chapter. So the the game here is: I read one chapter, he can read as many as he wants. He knows what's coming. I don't. And he's going to try not to spoil anything for me and for you, the listener. That is that is how we will play this. I, I will play by the rules, but you have to promise that if you can't resist, just tell me. Yeah, I'll let you know. We'll... I'll, not, I'll not play it off. Oh my gosh, I'm so surprised. No, I won't do that. 
I'm guessing that such and such or so and so is going to get so and so'd into such and such. And then that's what happens. So we need to crack into this book because I'm dying to talk about we this. We do. Yes. Yes. I've been, I've been waiting for I, this. I, so. I just want to, I just want to jump into the middle, but we probably should take this from the we beginning. Go. We do. Which starts off with Parzival coming back from a nine day hiatus from the Oasis. A new personal record, but yeah. before we get to that, mm. instead of prologue, it's called cutscene. Okay. Which I thought was interesting, and honestly, like we rushed to get this thing recorded, and so the usual deep dives that we do are probably not going to be uh, as prevalent as they usually are, but we will take that sacrifice for this. But well, I, I mean, I guess like the reference for cutscene is that isn't that what you call like those scenes between the certain parts of the game of the video games that you play? There's like the video, like the the movie between the different parts of the playable game. Yeah, Aren't it's those a cutscene. Cut scenes? Yeah, precisely. So, uh, and I think what what that kind of alludes to maybe is the fact that we are cutting from the end of the first book to the beginning of the second one. Cutscene. We're in a different place. We're in a different time. We're describing a new situation, but we're not far from the other point. Cutscene is, you know, a little bit of a gap between, but it's stapled together. You've transitioned into a a new scene, but it's a segue, if you will, from the prior. And that's a great first word to come off of, because what he's indicating here is that we're a week off from him having discovered, for him having found the egg, him having won the contest. Cutscene, nine days later... He's in his chair in his office at the top of a, a sky rise, high rise, a sky skyscraper, if you will, at GSS. And yep. that's, if you can imagine, being shuffled from one of those pay by the hour, you know, <laughs> dirty chairs <laughs> to, uh-huh. to days later, now having your own office and, and the top of the line equipment to get into the Oasis. All right. That's a. Classic rags to riches story there. And even from the beginning of this story, it feels like in this chapter, and we'll probably get into a little bit, that he's a fish out of water. He's now in that new territory. And and you get that when when you read through this. And the first thing he does is he logs into the Oasis in order to kill some time, basically, because he's waiting for Artemis to come back and everyone else has basically gone off and doing their thing for the moment. So he logs into the Oasis. After nine days, a new personal record. Do you remember what his old personal record was? No, I don't. It was eight days. And it was when he was in IOI headquarters as an indentured servant. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember now. And he was talking about how his heart was pounding as he logged in because he was so anxious to get back on. And he was just trying to escape the tower, trying to escape the indentured servitude. And Warren, H. Artemis, and Shoto. So it was eight days that he was without Oasis access, and he just broke the record by one day. Now, in having done that, though, we're going to go through this chapter because at this chapter, we, we really spent a lot of time talking about the book and really talking about how is this going to start? Like, how are we going to dig into it? What is this new technology that was hinted in the, the, the jacket read? And right off the bat, we are rewarded with the understanding that he he appears in front of the castle, Castle Anorak, and a bunch of people are there. 
and that one of the things that everybody had agreed on to begin with was to resurrect everyone who had been killed during that event. And we had talked yeah. about this. Yeah. It would be a shit thing if he didn't do that. Like, surely he's got to do that, or they've got to do that. So that was one of our first predictions, was like, yeah. if the book was going to go the direction we hoped it would, first things first, got to raise all the people who fought the battle and sacrificed themselves. Yeah, and he makes a point of saying that he restored everything there. You know, their, their items that they lost, money, uh, everything, you know, and it was all, nothing was lost. And it was, it was the least they could do to repay them for their help. And Samantha, H, and Shoto had agreed. Now, but I, I do want to bring up before I forget to bring this up is I find it very interesting that I, I'm pretty sure I'm flipping through the pages right now to make sure, but he never refers to her as Artemis, does he? He keeps calling her Samantha. But he refers to H and Shoto, right. and that's their avatar names. Ooh, that's a very good point. Look, she's come closer to him. Like, they have, like, instantly you get this feeling, even by that reference, that there is a, a closer relationship, that he knows her better in person now, or at least has a, an in-the-real connection that maybe he's, he values more. That makes some sense. Presumably they're in some sort of relationship, although it hasn't quite said so explicitly yet. It like, well, kind of just... has. He's I'm excited for it. She goes off to her grandmother to pack her things and come back to him. And he's excited for her to come back. That's why he has to distract himself. So I think they're... I think it could at least be assumed that something has begun. Something, but we don't know what and to yeah. what level. Yeah, yeah. But, and uh, I feel like we got to go through the chapter in order so that we don't forget anything. But it's weird how in those nine days that since the contest, everybody but him left, or they, uh, they left the country. They took a fucking vacation. But Shoto went to, what was it, Japan? Yeah, he went to Japan to take over the GSS. Hokkaido so that's, that's not really a vacation. So H went to Senegal. A country like, she dreamed of visiting her whole life. Uh, and I guess, he, I guess he would do that. I kind of be like wanting to check out my new job. Make sure that the check clears a couple times. Make sure you're not going to get arrested for having inherited an illegal company. So not everybody goes on vacation, but everybody's off in their respective places doing whatever it is that they want to do after this whole thing is stripped down. Yeah. And he gets back online, and immediately he sees a plethora of people that have been waiting for him to show back up. And before he gets swarmed, he basically snaps his fingers and boom, he's back in the castle. So do you think it's the same people that were, like, hanging out outside of a stronghold, just, like, waiting to see what he was going to do? Maybe. it's the, There's at least that kind of attitude where there's, like, a following. And I wonder if maybe this will move in the direction of a cult following. It has the beginnings of a religious tone, if you will. Kind this, of. But instead of him being raised from the dead, which actually he was. He died. He was. Rose from the dead. He's the evil nemesis. Captured the egg, which I guess you could say is very similar to, say, the Holy Grail, mm -hmm. and then brought life to the people through the implementation of the Holy Grail in the king's hands. I, and, and, and there is some Holy Grail shit there, too, right? Like in the book, yeah. there's it's very Holy Grail. So you, you do have the makings there of maybe a following, a little cult following, maybe a cult following he doesn't want, but it's going to have anyhow. And thus they're camped out for, what, nine days in front of the castle waiting for him to arrive? 
it's interesting. I'm curious to see how that shakes out. I'm curious to see if that prediction comes true. Yeah. But he goes back into the castle, and he's back in the room where he found the egg. Only yeah, something's or... changed. Something is different. Yeah, the egg has got some cracks in it, and the cracks have words. One might call it an inscription. GSS, and... 13th floor, vault number 42. Eight six seven five three zero nine. Exactly. So I saw I saw that about... immediately, and I was like, "What's that number?" Oh, I know that number. Oh, I was I heard the tune in my head as I was yep. reading. I'm like, yeah, I, yep. I can't not. Yeah, it it's funny how like that one little inscription is just jam packed with references. Forty two. That's the answer 42. to everything. Yeah, eight six seven five three zero nine. And 13th Floor, which is referenced on following pages in a number of movies and television references. It's used quite frequently. Which I have to admit, that was mostly a learning experience for me. I did not know most of that. We'll get to that. I didn't either. I was clueless about the Max Headroom reference. I know Max Headroom, but I didn't know anything in regards to 13th Floor there. Yeah, me neither. Uh, and then it... some of the shows labeled or, or mentioned here, like the 13th Floor... I haven't seen that sci-fi <laughs> film. I've not seen that. Yeah. So, like, b before I got to those references, or before I got to that point in this chapter where I mentioned the references, the first thing I thought of was, like, 13th floor is you, like, the number 13 is often seen as bad luck. Friday the 13th. Other references that imply badness around the number 13. And since you, so, you mentioned like hotels will often, and I shouldn't say yeah, often, and that, there are a number of hotels where it, traditionally there wouldn't be a 13th floor. You would exactly. go 12, 14, 15, etc. And that's because they believed that the 13th floor was just an unlucky floor to, to have. Yeah. So I immediately kind of gravitated to this idea that even though this thing was put here in this 13th floor and actually the fact that there are references pop culture references that kind of merit it being on the 13th floor there's still going to be something bad luck about it there's an ominous presence yes. about the direction here about the floor that he's being directed to that there's something here and and we'll get into more as to certainly why i feel that way and maybe why you feel that way well a little bit further on but he goes to the 13th floor and goes through a, a, a set of security checks. And I don't know if that's a, a situation where that'll be important later on or not. It went into a little bit of detail as what that's involved. You missed a reference. What was, I don't have to hit every reference. Are you talking about the, like oh, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide? No, the meet the new boss weird as the old boss. Oh, that's not a meet reference. Meet the new boss. Wait a second. Is that literally like a reference? Isn't there a song that says meet the new boss same as the old boss? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I missed that reference. Yeah, there is. It's a song by The Who. We won't get fooled yeah. again. Woo! Right. Good catch. I thought he was yeah. just being quirky. Well, he was because the the words are meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Mm -hmm. But he changed it to meet the new boss, weird as the old boss. Oh, Unless okay. that's a reference itself, but I doubt it. Okay, that's interesting. When I was talking earlier, so it's just it, he reminded me of this kid in a grown-up place, surrounded in the elevator by adults, by people that it's, are maybe not quite like him. It's like the 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 kid who inherits their parents, like 
business or whatever who doesn't know how to run a company, but now they're running the company. I was thinking more like a kid wearing his father's shoes and coat, and everything's just too big and too loosey, and, and just trying to like, hey, what's up? Trying to pass it off, like trying to fake his way through it. He makes it in, makes a beeline straight for number 42, which is the ultimate answer to life, the universe, everything of the Hitchhiker's Guide, and opens it up. And within is another egg. The egg. Crazy. Might have been the egg. Like, the other egg might have just been symbolic, but in reality, maybe this is the egg. This is the egg. Yeah, quite literally. And I like the fact that, that he's still so much a kid that he can't help but to run back to the office with it in his, in his hands. Charlie running them through the streets with the golden ticket, rushing past anybody that might otherwise catch him. This egg has got some cool tech to it. It's got a th- the thumb thing, yep. hinges open. Like it had to have looked pretty solid. So like, you know, to have it hinge, that was kind of cool. And what we find is a headset. Kind Ooh, of, a, I imagine I, the way that they described it. It made me think of the alien, the face hugger from Aliens. Yeah. Reminded me of that, only on top of your head. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Goes down and locks around from different angles. And the thing I was also picturing, like the Doc suit. Oh yeah, with yeah, the yeah, arms, yeah. like pressing into your spine. I was like picturing a little bit of that too. It was a weird sounding device that it made me think of like the transcranial device thingy. Yeah, I have a few um, behind me. I know exactly what yeah. you mean. And as soon as I got to this point, I was like, ooh. New fun tech, just like we thought. As it opens up and presents itself, that's exactly what we find out, which is one of our other predictions was that there had to be some way to become fully immersed in the Oasis for it to become more addictive, more drawing. And you and I discussed about this, about how that might happen. My initial thought was maybe they'll use some sort of hypnosis or using the existing technology. Your theory was they're going to make new technology. In which case, I was kind of like, well, how the heck are they going to supply that to everyone? And, and actually, they dealt with that in this chapter. Halliday pops up on the screen and says, here's this new technology. This is what it does. It's ready to print and distribute just as soon as you say go. And I was so, like, oh, shit, there you go. So let's talk a little bit about this, because uh-huh. this device is a few years old now when he finds it. It's been sitting in there a long time. Yeah. For all the years of the contest, and apparently was in development for quite a few years, and was apparently some human testing going on. So, how did all of that happen? Like, how many people were te- like they figured out like you can't use this thing for more than twelve hours, and you, when you're done, you have to take a twelve-hour break. So we should get into the we should get into the details, the technical aspects of this. First off, there are two sides to this. One is. It creates a fully immersive experience in the Oasis. But the second one is it can read your experience. It can record your experience. And that's a big one. I think that's... And, that's... It, can, and it can play back your experience or someone else's. Yeah. Which is messed up. Well, if you've seen Strange Days, you know how messed up that can get. Because in Strange... Have you seen Strange Days? No. Great movie. So the idea behind that movie was it was exactly that. You had people that were selling illegal recordings, like people dying or people like doing like extreme stuff like breaking the law and murdering people and sexcapades and a number of things. And there were these sort of 
back alley dives that you could go to rent time in these headsets to experience other people's experiences. And there was a side effect to that, which was if you didn't too much, it would fry your brain and you'd go into a coma. You'd be in a mm-hmm. constant state of sharing that experience. And it's really a good movie. It's been a while since I've thought about it, so I'm really glad that they mentioned it in the book. It's dangerous. It's just still really getting around it. It's dangerous from a social perspective. Because imagine if you were, could record the best moments of your life. And knowing that you've got to get up every day and do what you do and work and whatnot, what the, I think the most tempting thing there would be to want to relive the same moments over and over again. That was one of the struggles in Strange Days is because the, the main character, his family died. So he was constantly, or his I think his daughter died. He's constantly going back and reliving every day the experience of a birthday party with his daughter that he recorded. And uh, it is its own sort of addiction of going back and reliving the past versus living actively in the future. And that's that to me is that's ominous right there. There's a lot that this could really screw with. It's it moves into that realm of tempting humans into a place where they can make themselves extinct. It's such a messed up concept. Like if you didn't want to go skydiving but you wanted to feel skydiving, somebody could record themselves skydiving, and then you could play it back and feel it like it was happening to you. That's crazy. Yeah, or you can sell it. And you got to imagine the Ooh. black market as well. Experiences be like people taking drugs and experiencing drugs. How much money would you pay to try to experience somebody taking a hit of cocaine without actually oh. doing it yourself? So there'd be like this whole black market of experiences, these illegal experiences. And you just imagine the worst possible thing and, and how many, how much would people buy this? So there would be like, I would imagine a, a world that would quickly monetize the experiences. Uh, it's going to be like the Apple App Store, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But another part of this, though, was a reference to uh, Brainstorm. And did you ever see Brainstorm? No. It's one of Christopher Walken's earlier 80s films. They're on the edge of having discovered a technology or f- finalized the technology of recording brainwaves and being able to play them back, or at least on the edge of that technology of what would happen if you turned that back on to somebody or if you went through it, if you would listen to it. And what would happen if somebody had died while they were hooked up? And that's a big part. Would it kill you? Or could you survive that? And would you experience heaven if it's recording everything, right? And there was that question of if you put this on and and you play it, because one of the scientists did it while he died, it it could possibly kill you. But you could also possibly experience death or after death. And that's like the crux of that movie. Really very cool. So that's also, to me, ominous because that question comes up. What if recording somebody dying killed people? What if that became the virus? Ooh. You know, that somebody's like listening to their birthday party and then boom, somebody died and then you die because your brain's like, okay, I guess we're dying now. Man, that's fucked up. No one, yeah. like, maybe that's how all the, the millions get killed, potentially. Because the book flap or the uh, books a million thing referred to the lives of millions of people being at stake or something like that. If millions of people have this device and 
somehow somebody figures out a way to play back death into all these headsets, mm-hmm. what happens? They all die. Well, and in that's real a, life. And that's another thing is that if you can experience everything in the oasis, what does death feel like in the oasis? <laughs> what if it? What if it's possible to override the safety precautions because it will shut down after twelve hours? Twelve hours on, twelve hours off. And you can go into the regular oasis to your regular haptic shit for that other 12 hours, but for at least you can only be in it for 12 hours. Anything more, and we don't know exactly how much more, what is pressing the limit, but it states that more than 12 hours could result in brain damage and coma. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. It was ta- it was talking about the brain damage, other kind of you know mental problems. And I thought it was interesting that this comes up now in the prologue or cutscene because it was also in the prologue of the first book where we get a reference to Halliday having gone insane. Mm. When I read that, all the juices in my brain were flowing. It was the first page of the book, like fifth, sixth paragraph where it's talking about Halliday having died as a 67-year-old bachelor, no relatives that were alive, no friends, it spent the last 15 years of his life in self-imposed isolation, during which time, if the rumors were to be believed, he'd gone completely insane. So, I'm going to suggest here that maybe this point about him having gone completely insane was true because he was using the ONI device too much. Yeah, maybe. Or, because, like, yes, they referred to independent testing, but it is addictive, and he may not have known the harm it could have done until after the testing because he made just created it, started using it. And maybe that's how he was interfacing with the Oasis towards the end. And at that point it's like, I'm at the end. I'm done. And maybe all the stuff messing with his brain, maybe messed with his body enough that, you know, made him susceptible to cancer. I don't know. But I have a feeling that maybe that, that the rumors about him gone, having gone completely insane were true and that is because of the O&I device. Okay, I think we will soon see. Another thing about this, though, and it, it's a, it's something that you and I had talked about, which was this idea of the ghost in the machine, that somehow Halliday had figured out how to cheat death and how to put himself in the game. And we get that as a hint within the movie, too, where, where at the end of the movie he asks, are you dead? Or he asks him something, and, and the... The answer to that was like no, like he's different. It's it's. Well, in- I, I didn't he not answer the question. He just said goodbye, Parzival. I don't remember precisely, but there was this sort of feeling that his character was more than just an NPC. That it was more than just a pre-programmed thing. Uh, it it kind of left with that feeling. And I know we're referencing the movie, and I know the movie's different than the book, but it's the same writer, the same author, the same ideas. That that are that he's pulling out and sussing out into a story. You and I have talked about the potential for this sort of ghost in the machine that maybe Halliday is still in, but something we never really wrapped our heads around was how wow. do we make that leap? How do we go from human well, to singularity in a machine? Apparently, it can just be written to a small little file onto your hard drive. If you record enough of you, maybe it's possible in your you know, daily experiences, to transition that into your avatar. That you can program your avatar 
with enough of your experiences. Now, let me take that to a different place because today we have artificial intelligence. And the way that the artificial intelligence works is, is it uses patterning. You give it an enormous amount of information. And after a while, it can start it to learns. give you back information. It can start to reflect back answers to questions. It can start writing rap. It can start writing books in the style of certain authors with enough information. So if you so, give AI, uh, or the AI engine, if you will, a ton of information about you and your life and everything going through your mind, then yeah, I think it would be possible to very, or not very accurately, but accurately enough, simulate somebody in the Oasis. I mean, think about it. He might have had 10 years worth of written experiences from this device. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a lot of data. Sure. And he could have transitioned that into his avatar if he wanted to, or into a different avatar that might still be floating around in the game. Don't know. He might have needed a physical presence to run the company, but from the virtual side, there might still be a copy of him running around. Maybe, who knows, maybe it's in the virtual Bahamas, sipping on Mai Tais and kicking up its feet next to a virtual beach. Maybe he had the virtual version of himself program the rest of the contest because he didn't have time. There was always this question of, like, how did he have time to program the original contest? Sure, I could see that. And that would make sense because he, his vir the virtual copy of him in the Oasis could have finished off the whole contest as well as being a part of that contest that when the different things were triggered, he was there to basically hand that off, much as he did at the end of the book. And much as we saw in the movie, where he interacts with him regularly and getting the keys. Yeah. So there, and, there, and, well, and, and like the other thing just popped into my head was like... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When he's on Arcade and he decides to like take you know the path less traveled back through after realizing that he couldn't collect the trophies, he Was noticed it happy time something. Pizza? Yeah, because he said that he know he's like how did it had never been recorded that it had been there. He never noticed it, and I'm pretty sure I mentioned this when we were talking about that chapter. Was what if somehow him having gotten that far through the contest? unlock the ability to see the Happy Time Pizza and find that little Easter egg within the game to eventually get that quarter. So maybe it wasn't something like that, but maybe it was Halliday creating this thing as a as an AI avatar. I, yeah, I just, remember that conversation. I believe I shit yeah. on that idea. You did. <laughs> but I think that makes sense. Like maybe, like I can see now there's a bridge. Halliday potentially working in the background online, the copy of him online working in the background and maybe offering a bit of a potential leg up. Not blatant, but possible. And of course, there was a test there that he got through. So yeah. maybe, sure. I, I think that's much more viable now, given what we know. 
we've nailed a lot of the stuff that we would hope for. Like I was reading through this and I, I, I laughed, LOL, quite a bit at some of this. Literally had to stop and chuckle because you know, mm-hmm. we had nailed a few of these items. We're like, yes! But now we're at that place where we have this headset. We have this... It's odd. We've got this great technology, but I'm going to leave it up to you to decide what you want to do with it, when you want to oh. introduce it, or whether or not anyone's ready for it. And it's like, to hell? And then if somebody pulls it off while you're mid-play, it could possibly do brain damage? You're messed up. This is dangerous. I know it locks in around your head, but if you get knocked into the waking realm, if you will, or pulled out of it, that it could fuck with your brain? That's some shit right there. And it you know, has a little warning that pops up. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that makes me not want to use one of those uh, TCDS devices. It's like, ah, oh, that's a, it's, it's your brain. Oh, I just don't know if I want to mess with that. I don't want to just play around in my home with, while nobody knows. So that way I'm not going to start flipping and flopping on the ground. Yeah, it's, without... two, it's it's max two milliamps. I know, but like it's still in, in in my head. It's messing with your brain. Yeah, I get you. And it's funny you should mention that because I have that. I have several devices specifically for that. I use that. And to me, the appeal is, yeah, it's messing with your brain. But if I could make you quicker, if I could make you sharper, if I could make it so that you could remember things much easier, oh, that you I mean, could hold I... them so much faster. As you get older, I these are this. the things that degrade. This is what drove me to it, because I was feeling like my memory was degrading. Like I was feeling like I couldn't keep up. And all of a sudden, there's this technology that's out there that's if you hook this to your brain and you pump a little additional volts through, it can give you a leg up. It can help you do math. It can help you with your speech. It can, it can amp parts of your brain to give you an advantage or compensate for deterioration that you're experiencing just out of age. To me, that's awfully tempting. So yeah. TDCS, I keep saying the acronym wrong. I was looking at transcranial direct current stimulation. So that sounds really fucking cool. And I want to do that. Like I was, when I was first learning about those devices, and you've got a perfect, was, you've got a perfect hairdo for it. I might add, I do. Yeah, and, and I was like, when I first learned, when I was first learning about this device, I was trying to learn another language, and I was like, oh, this is would be, this could be a great shortcut to learning language. It's set your brain up to like really absorb everything, and then just spend an hour studying, and then hope that it sinks in and helps you learn. But I was really interested in that, and I just was always too scared. It's interesting because this is very cutting edge, and I, and I love the fact that the books come out now, and we do have past references, but we really have some concepts that are cutting edge. And one of them is this idea that you can play back brainwaves. And in fact, there's experimentation going on real recent within the past couple of years of doing exactly that, the ability to transmit thought from one person in one location to another person in another location. That this concept, when people talk about where does consciousness, where does the seat of consciousness exist, a new theory came out just last week about consciousness existing within the broadcasting of the brain in general, all the parts. So this is this is some cutting-edge shit here. This is going to be really interesting. I'm curious to see where it goes, because we're playing with the technologies that this book is saying that they've mastered. And I love that. I freaking love that. Because it gives you sat there, and it just sat there for years. And I love the fact that 
we can think about the direction we're going in by reading out this play, if you will, that uses this technology and potential for good and bad. It's exciting. It, it makes my nipples hard. Oh. Cutting glass over there? A bit. I so, love that when he's hearing you know, the, the, the decrepit Halliday explain this device, and his response is, no fucking way. Yeah. I just love, just love that. <laughs> I love the fact that I'm reading it, and that's exactly what I thought just as I came to it. I know. It's awesome. Like, those per- perfect... That was just perfect. Perfect synchronicities. It. Yeah, it's, it's it's cool to know that you're thinking like the character in the book. So I mean, I, he, I taste, smell, all that stuff. That's f- messed up, and it, it just sat there in the vault. Crazy. The and the fact that this technology could be easily printed and distributed is pretty phenomenal. That you could make this available to everyone very quickly. But. Again, there's those side effects. There are those drawbacks. This device is dangerous if not used as instructed. Did you ever watch the movie Gremlins? Long time ago. I've not yeah. rewatched it as an adult, though. Yeah, that up there with Die Hard are two of my favorite Christmas movies. But the, you got this feeling like you've got this very cute mugwai, and there are some rules with some devastating consequences, right? <laughs> so. Don't use it for more than 12 hours. 12 hours on, 12 hours off is very much like don't feed him after midnight. And you can't have it pulled off is very much like do not get him wet. Yeah. Or bad shit's going to happen. <laughs> uh, the third one being don't expose him to sunlight, but I don't know what the, the, that would equate to here. But you get it, though. Like, here's this just awesome thing, but it is just laced with warnings, danger. And of course, the the immediate response is, oh, "I gotta try this shit." Which, I gotta put I'd this be like, shit on. Okay, I'd be like, put this thing back in the egg, lock it back up in the vault, and just walk away quietly. I'd, dude, I would throw that shit on immediately. I don't know. I let me put it this way: I wouldn't try it without other people knowing I was gonna try it. Okay, that's fair. It would come off in twelve hours anyhow. Yeah, it's gonna turn off. You just set it and forget it. Trust is earned, not given away like candy on Halloween. Okay, so is the thought here that maybe it would turn on and you couldn't get out of it or you couldn't log out at will? I don't know. But I don't want to I don't want to find out the wrong way and have it be 4 days for Samantha to come back and see you fried on your little haptic chair. Could be messed up. That could but... be messed up. And I so many thoughts. If now that you have this level of realism that could potentially get out to air anyone, do you remember the conversation I had? It was about a brown beetle in Australia. Does this ring a bell? No. It's right. been on your other show. It's a brown beetle in Australia. And no, this was in talking about movies like Ex Machina, mm-hmm. where a kid, a developer, basically wins a contest to go and stay with the guy that like invented the equivalent of Google off on his, like, 2,000-acre property. And he's been developing a robot, an AI, and he brings this guy in to try and do a test with him to see if it can fool him into believing that this robot is human. And that this kind of plays back, that if you could go in and everything is feelable, like your entire body can, can sense everything, then all of your relationships could be online. Every Everything that 
living online would be as real, if not more real, than real life. And I feel like that's the addiction. And the brown beetle that I'm talking about almost went extinct. And the reason why was because people were throwing their beer bottles out the window. And the male beetles looked at the little bumpy brown, bumpy glass parts on the brown bottles, and they were attracted to them. And they stopped breeding with the females and tried mating with the beer bottle, the artificial man-created beer bottle, the virtual female, if you will. And as a result, they stopped breeding and almost went extinct until they started cleaning up the trash off the side of the road and trying to preserve this beetle. But I see this as being a road in that direction. That you if... know, <laughs> I have not been overusing an ONI device. I do not remember this conversation. I feel oh. like I would remember it. That's my concern here, is that if life is still shitty, and it is because we're only nine days after shit went crazy, I mean, things haven't gotten better for the world in nine days. So if things are shitty, and people are already using the Oasis to escape, to the point where you have the missing millions... To give this technology as that sort of last step, like the only reason to come back to the real world is because it isn't everything. It isn't all of the experiences. But well, now you it still would gotta, be. You still got to eat. You still got to piss. You still got to take a shit. Do you? Think about that, though. And here's another danger. If you could eat in the Oasis and taste it and feel full for having done so, why would you eat? Because eventually you need actual like nutrition. I agree. You and I agree on that, but could you see a world where I mean, people somebody, escaping? Somebody they, could inadvertently, functionally starve to death, even though they don't realize it. Yeah, millions of people starving in there, well, wherever they are, laying down with the new headset on, because they wake up exhausted, they sleep for 12 hours, they wake back up with the headset on, they go have a pizza in the Oasis, they go do their thing, and then rinse, repeat, then die, eventually. So I, I could see this technology, if not, I, I could see where this could be bad. Let me put it that way. I could see where this could be bad. In a oh, number I could of totally see where this is bad. I, I mean, mean, in a couple of generations, no one's breeding I, with anyone else. I have a feeling this whole novel is about why this is bad. <laughs> oh, God, I hope that's not the case. I hope there's a silver lining to this. <laughs> uh, bless. So... We get to that place where he goes to put it on, or he puts it on, really, and it just locks down around his head. He's He is concerned that Samantha would stop him. Duh, because she probably would. He needs would. to do this as soon as possible. Why so, would he so think that? They must be in a relationship. <laughs> of course she would stop him. This is because it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Is that what it is? Pretty much. But I wonder if it's because, let's face it, like, he hasn't seen her all that much. And he just met her, but like a week and a half prior. So, and how many days were they actually together before she left? Exactly. So not really been around her, but he's concerned. He's concerned that she would talk about it. Someone herself who has spent a lot of time in the Oasis herself. So I, I While he might be concerned that she would say, maybe you shouldn't put that on. I also wonder if maybe she would. Or maybe that'll that's like a preface to her having an issue with it going forward. Because he's going to share this with her, obviously. I mean, like, the reality is that he's given away equal amounts of shares into the company 
to three other people. They should have a say in whether or not this thing gets put out there. And in, shouldn't they? Well, that's I hadn't thought about that. But if they've got equal parts into the company and the decision is, the question is, should it be put out there? Now, the question's been posed to him. Halliday has put this together for him specifically to make that decision. That's now, granted, true. it probably wasn't anticipated that he would break up the direction of the company amongst everyone that he worked with by the time the recording was done here. So it may have just been assumed it would just be one person running the company. So I wonder if there is going to be some concern and maybe even some blockage. I, I think that's a good point. It's like other people, H and Daito and I said Daito, Shoto, excuse me, H and Shoto, they might have differing opinions about whether or not this should be put out there. One of them might go, no, I don't agree this, with this. This could be their first big fight. Yep, yep. They came to the, to the unified decision, and it was very specifically stated. It was a decision that they all made together to grant everybody else all their stuff that they lost and their lives and their experience. Which means that they're already in the process of making decisions together. And here is a technology wherein a decision needs to be made. And we know that it's going to get out there. That's the thing. So what I'm envisioning is that you know there's only four of them. So there's no tiebreaker vote. And <laughs> I can just see it's two against two. And then Parzival starts throwing around his big anorax robes dick and saying, this is mine to release. I'm releasing it. Just like walking around with a big cock and, you know, acting like a jackass. And I could see that being a major sticking point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see where maybe he feels like it should be given out and his friends are wiser about the repercussions, but that maybe he makes that decision without them and that causes a rift. And He's then it gets... He's going to get yelled at for having tried it without saying anything to anybody. I could see him when everybody comes back and it's, oh, you got to check this out. I tried this thing out. It's so great. And then, yeah, Artemis, Samantha says, you did what? How could you do something so stupid? Oh, she's jelly. She'll be jelly. I'm just replaying one of the many conversations I've ever had with, well, you know. Sure. I understand. Guys, we we make stupid decisions. All the time. Even All the, the ones time. That, even the good decisions are bad decisions. That's right. And now I've got a way to record them. I just put this <laughs> oh, shit on great. my head and I make all kinds of bad decisions. So that I guess that is the drawback right there is that <laughs> you're also going to be able to play back stuff like getting yelled at. Remember that time you said you would do that thing? Why, no, I don't. Here, put this on your head. I'll play it back to you. Oh, uh, yeah. I was thinking that. I did yeah. do that thing. Damn it. <sighs> Evidence. Yeah, oh gosh, that's Ooh. another thing, right? Evidence. Oh, evidence. Yeah, because oh. here's the thing. Dun, dun. In, in going through your life, there are a lot of weird laws out there. My brother's a police officer. He was a police officer. He's retired from the force now. And one of the things that he told me that stuck was that everyone breaks the law. Everyone breaks the law. It's a matter of what you do, when you do it, whether or not you get caught. But everyone breaks the law, whether or not you know it, on a daily basis. And that... A police officer has to judge not necessarily against whether or not you break the law, but whether or not in the moment of having done it, what's the relevance? What were the repercussions really going to be? Like, you shouldn't be just arresting people because they broke the law because there are some dumb laws out there. Like in the state of Tennessee, it's illegal to have a own a business without a hitching post in the front of it. 
that's still on the books. Damn it. Oh, yeah, I can't believe I, know. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's true. There's like there are hundreds and thousands of laws. How many of them are you actually aware of? Yeah. So to record your experiences is admissible, I would imagine. That's a good question. Is that admissible in a court of law or not? I wonder if this is a situation where somewhere in the book it's going to be a ha-ha, I was wearing the thing, and I recorded you doing the thing, and you didn't know it. And ha-ha, here it is, play it back for the court. Dun-dun! Interesting stuff. Yeah, so there's just, it's just, it's it's a powerful technology idea. So he puts it back on, reads, sees the warning, and uh, says, fuck it. Yeah, reaches out, taps the agree button beneath the safety warning. Like you do. (gasps) Hold my beer. So I, I am excited to see where this goes next. Yeah. And this was a very short chapter, but just so much detail kind of put into everything. And like even thinking about the O&I device and how it all works and that can't have it lose power. So it's got a backup battery. It's got an emergency lockout sequence just to try to make sure you don't fuck your head up. And like the the attention to detail is still really like it's it is still classic Ernest Klein and you know we don't want to forget as well that he has a new passphrase oh yeah everybody wants to wants rule to the rule world. the world i think that's an appropriate passphrase for somebody who basically rules the world now yeah yeah and it's interesting how he's gone through sort of a history of different passphrases and it now reflects his general attitude and his pa- previous passphrases have reflected his attitude in some way yeah, that's a good point. But you're right. There's the name of the device. It's, there's a huge level of bad omens going on here. You have the oh, 13th definitely. floor. You have Oni, O-N-I, yeah. which, as is already mentioned in the chapter, as being like the sort of Japanese demon kind of thing reference. Oni, or how we pronounce it in Japanese, was also the Japanese word for a giant horned demon from the pits of hell. Is that not an omen? Oh. And that on top of the, the warning message from Halliday, even Halliday wasn't willing to put this out. And Halliday created the Oasis and created the original haptic systems and the visors and sh- the, the ability and, to interface with it, and, like all of that. And he held back on this technology. And he recorded the message about this device showing his real self. Right. This The self that was, you know, emaciated and... and he was just like worn down by cancer. He, yeah. And he used that to tell the story about this device and to introduce it to his heir. There yeah. are warnings well, out the wazoo about this. Yeah. And on top of that, and here's an interesting thing as well, because you're talking about a book that wants to pull people into your favorite things. Wants is a contest about getting people to dive deep into the shit he was interested in so that they could understand his life enough to take over the company. And a person who develops all of this centered around the things that he loved, and he invents this technology, what do you think he's done with it? He's probably worn it. He's probably recorded it himself lots of times over. I imagine we're not going to see challenges wherein you're playing a character in a movie, I think we're going to see challenges where you're playing him. I was just thinking, what if Parzival finds a bunch of O&I files from Halliday? Yeah. 
That's what I'm getting at. What would Halliday do? What was Halliday doing on this day? Like, oh, oh, shit, he's masturbating. Oh, God, God turn it off. Ugh, just throw it off of your head. Brain damage be damned. Or what if it puts you into a situation where you don't know what he did during that day, but you have to make the choice that he would have made in order to be successful, right? Or maybe you're just going to play through the video. I don't know. I, I presume here that the recording part of this is going to be turned into a game. I can imagine nursing homes where they're just plugged in all day long and they're just reliving their youth. It's such a dangerous oh, that's concept so mean. that it's not just about now not living in the real. It's about not living in the moment, not living in current time, not living forward, but rather living backwards. It's just all kinds of tempting, dangerous shit there from a social behavior perspective. There's one last thing we have to bring up. Normally, you would log in, you, know, you get all your stuff, and then it says Ready Player One. But there's something different this time. It says Ready Player Two. This shoots down some pre previous ideas that we had in mind, which was that maybe Ready Player Two was another character, or maybe it was his son, or maybe it was from the perspective of Samantha. But we now realize that the message that comes up on the screen is more like version 2.0, if you will. He's a new character now. He's not the first player. He's now a new player. He's, right. been, eleva he's been elevated. Yeah. And I'm sure we're going to hear more about why does it say Ready Player 2 instead of Ready Player 1. But that wasn't, I was not expecting that to be why the book was called Ready Player 2. I, I would not have, I, obviously I didn't guess that either. I would not have expected that necessarily to, to be the case or the way that it was introduced. But for a first chapter, though, like if you just had to write one chapter to convince somebody to pay you to write the rest of the book, this is a damn good chapter. Oh, my God. I'm sitting here and I'm like, why did I agree? to record this without reading the rest of it. And I will be locking my book away until the next chapter, until the next podcast. Awesome. All right, with that, this is Chris. And this is Aaron. We'll catch you in the next chapter of Ready Player Two. See ya. See ya. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. You should sound more excited. I am excited. Dude. I'm incredibly well, excited. Are, are you saying that? Start over here. What? Say, welcome back to Get to the Good Part. Sound uh, excited. Okay. All right. Fine. The director, you're the actor. Fine. Fine. I'm the talent. Yes. <laughs>